Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Well, hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. Joining me for today's episode, which is understandably given the current situation recorded remotely, are motorsport.com F1 editor Jonathan Noble, Autosport's technical editor Jake Boxleg, and GP Racing executive editor Stuart Codling. Now, how are we all? Still, well, good, still here. I've, I've learned to bake bread, and I've learned that I'm not very good at baking bread. A bit like JBL on Instagram then. I've made bread this week. I've done a shepherd's pie with the remnants of food I could get in the supermarket. So we're, we're looking good in, in isolation. Was that some sort of ciabatta I see you tried to make? It was supposed to be a loaf, but it didn't pan out the way I wanted it to. You didn't use Was that a bread joke within that bread joke explanation? Oh, yes. John, it seems, uh, it seems hard to believe given the rapidly developing coronavirus situation that is currently engulfing the world. But just this time a week ago, you and I uh, were with our colleagues in Australia as the Melbourne race was in, on the verge, or actually I believe by this point it had been cancelled. Can you just run us through the biggest news stories in the F1 world from the last week and explain, uh, explain where F1 finds itself right now? Yeah, it's been a, a bit of a seismic week, really. I know, I know time, zone difference, time zone differences that we have to take into account, but you know, 11 o'clock in Melbourne... Last week, you and I were standing outside the, the front of the paddock and Chase Carey was given a press conference, you know, confirming the race had been cancelled, but not knowing, you know, refusing to say what was happening after that. But since then, we've lost more races. Um, Bahrain's gone. Vietnam's gone. China's already gone. Uh, Holland's now off. Spain's now off. Um, Monaco's been totally cancelled. So the calendar's uh, been totally shaken up. Um, and who knows when we're going racing but beyond that, more differences too. The summer shutdown's been brought forward in a bid to try to free up August in case we can get racing then. Um, but per- perhaps the most seismic of all changes is regarding the rules, the, the famed 2021 you know, new era for Formula 1, the new rules, the new cars, 
uh, new staff Formula One is being pushed back to 2022. So, you know, an incredible week for Formula One. Do you think that the uh, the Monaco position is actually probably the most realistic, given the way the global situation is evolving, that they've said we're not going to be able to stage this thing at all this year? I, I don't think... I think it was more prompted... Um, you know, by pragmatic reasons from both sides, really. You know, Monaco doesn't pay a race hosting fee to Formula One, so it's not a real incentive if everyone's struggling to fit races in to bring it on. And from Monaco's perspective, you know, shutting down the the principality for a bit and building up the city in the summer or in the autumn, it's not really ideal. So I think it was the, it was the kind of the decision. And, you know, even as long ago as Australia, people say Monaco won't be back. If it doesn't happen on that date, it isn't happening at all. So I think that's that's kind of fully understandable where that was. I think the others are holding on. I think Spain's very, very unlikely to get slotted back in. But, you know, I'm really sceptical that we're going to get rolling for a handful of races, if any, this year. Yeah, well, I think maybe we'll circle back circle back to the calendar later on. But just very quickly, when was the last time there was no F1 race in Monaco? 1954, maybe? There was, you're right there, Codders. Yeah, they, uh, well, as the author of the Life Monaco Grand Prix, I should know this <laughs> off by heart. But yeah, um, it was in the first year and then it, it was in abeyance for a, a few world championship years, although there was a sports car race in 1953, 54 or something. Basically, the monarch at the time was an absentee and was uh, living in Paris, I think, with uh, uh, a lady who may or may not have been uh, his wife. So um, the Grand Prix didn't really kick back into gear until Prince Rainier uh, acceded to the throne, as it were, and put his weight behind it. Uh, and and the, the Grand Prix actually was a great generator of good PR for Monaco, who's, as a principality, its reputation had been quite battered because of its reputation as a playground for Nazis during the war. It had been viewed as not quite a collaborator regime, but it, it hadn't been as unfriendly to Nazi Germany as it could have been. So it suffered great reputational damage, and the, the Grand Prix bringing, bringing it back was, was a move that put it back on the international map. Uh, that sounds like a fascinating tale there, Codders. I assume this was one of your books that got zero stars on Amazon? Oh, it might have had a one-star <laughs> review from someone. Good. Well, at least one person perhaps read it. We'll, we'll never see. read your reviews, Alex. Don't oh, look I, below I, the line on YouTube. Be- believe never, me, never I, I, I do not do that. So there we go. Um, but let's let's go back to the news as we were, as we were saying there. Um, JBL, let's, let's, let's start off with discussing just what bringing forward the summer shutdown will mean. What will F1 team operations be doing right now? As I understand it, some of them are already, for example, Ferrari in the shutdown and the others are going to be staggering. They've got to do 21 days within March and, and April at the moment. Yeah, so our standard summer shutdown is there are two weeks during the summer break where teams just cannot work. So the factory kind of basically closes down. Everyone gives on their summer holidays. That's kind of the long and short of it. And so that's been brought forward to coincide with the, the hiatus and running. Um, as you say, 21 days. Um, each team is running that at different times because we've got a long old time until we get racing again. Um, so, for example, yeah, Ferrari's shut down for the time being. Uh, Renault's engineers, for example, they're not going on the full summer set, uh, shutdown, but they're working from home. Um, I imagine that's what most teams are doing at the moment. Um, so that just means that you you can't design anything. Everything's sort of frozen for the time being. Um, you you can't run the machinery in the factory. It's just basically you you can't really do anything. Um, but teams will be staggering this because um, there has been sort of like a bit of a discussion that teams, for example, can help with the general effort of 
fighting coronavirus by helping to produce ventilators and respirators and all that kind of thing so that's part of the reason perhaps why they're staggering it a little bit because obviously there's no racing or racing developments to go on at the moment so although teams aren't going to be twiddling their thumbs quite as much as you think um you know they can still provide their expertise in this current global climate well yeah that's certainly uh, you know an interesting an interesting element to what you know the formula the formula one world is very high tech it's got incredible communication systems the machine tooling stuff that, that the teams have is, is 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 top end uh just you know just the way that they they go about producing things these are some of the brightest and cleverest engineers and minds that that are in in the uk and, and around the world as well but um yeah john codders what what do you think that that formula one and the wider motorsport world could potentially do to help to aid what is a, a very serious uh, serious threat at the moment it's that ability to respond quickly to design challenges that I think Formula One brings to the table. When you think of how much of a Formula One car changes in season and the way that the engineers respond to challenges and understand things, they've got great simulation science at their fingertips. A couple of the teams already do work in the medical field. Williams Advanced Engineering and McLaren Applied Technologies have pushed Formula One technology into the medical space. I think uh, McLaren Applied Technologies have been doing a lot of work in fast-tracking pharmaceuticals through um, pharmaceutical trials because their their technology is better able to monitor patients. So instead of the doctor asking someone how they feel, uh, the sensors can actually monitor what's going on inside their bodies and create a much better picture of of how the experimental medicine is actually proceeding i think they often say that nothing moves kind of technology and development on like a war um you know we see it throughout history um you know jet engines in world war ii for example you know massive progress on all these fronts uh an f1 is a war you've got a, a war between 10 of the best companies in the world with some of the best and brightest engineers and brains all put together um and at a time when not necessarily twiddling thumbs, but there isn't that urgency to push on with F1 car development. You know, there's a huge resource there that, you know, the government could tap into um, to push on. And it probably goes beyond just creating um, ventilators. There's probably logistics things teams can get involved in, um, planning, procedures. Um, I think there's a whole wealth of stuff that, that is there and ca- can be tapped in, uh, you know, and should be used. Yeah, because this problem, basically, the coronavirus is... I'm, this this might sound a bit silly, but it, it's going to be a bit like HIV and AIDS in that it's not going to go away, and it is something that is going to force people to change a lot of their behaviours. You know, a, a lot of our the details of our everyday lives, the things we do, are going to have to change in response to this thing being out there in the field. What could be done in terms of the the, the tools and the machines that are used in F1 factories? Would it just be simple as as changing what they're going to be producing? Well, the thing is what. Formula One technology allows you to do is bring something from you know a mere idea to a prototype to a full-blown design concept to something that can be produced in a very very short space of time and all of these CNC machines and all of these rapid prototyping pieces of kit you can produce plastic parts in you know a couple of hours and you'll be able to then ship them off obviously all Formula One teams will have a very good logistics network so in theory you could come up with a product design it develop it and get it out onto the shelves within the space of a few days perhaps so that's because the coronavirus situation is changing rapidly day by day 
this is something that Formula One thrives on. It's that's the sort of time frame that this sport works on, and so it's ideally equipped and able to provide hospitals and provide healthcare operators with with this kind of stuff. Probably the biggest uh, development from the news story of the last week in terms of F1's future, assuming things do to return to normal, as we all hope, uh, is the agreement, as John, as you mentioned, to postpone the introduction of the new rules for 2021 until 2022 and keep the current cars for next season, assuming the 2020 season does indeed take place. Um, Codders, would it be fair to say that this has been a a pretty unprecedented level of agreement among the teams to take this decision? And what do we make of that? Yeah, I mean, it's not actually unprecedented but it's very rare in recent memory isn't it for them to agree if you think only a week ago you had a schism in terms of who wanted to carry on racing in Melbourne and and who wanted to up sticks and go straight away so for for them within a week to have made all these had had all these discussions obviously a few of the details are yet to be worked out about how they're going to implement it but for everyone initially except Ferrari who held back on um putting their weight behind it Uh, everyone seemed to see it as pretty much a good idea but then again they're all businesses aren't they so they have all seen that they're all going to face very similar challenges if we run through those quickly I think challenge one is is going to be the the money situation their sponsors are likely to be taking a huge commercial hit uh, given the way the global economy is tanking at the moment the teams backed by manufacturers are going to also come under scrutiny from those manufacturers in terms of the bottom line Uh, when you look at the global financial crisis 12 years ago who was first out the door honda toyota bmw uh, the the only team coming the other way or the only manufacturer coming the other way was was mercedes and they did it because they thought they were scooping up a bargain uh, in a sort of a distressed distressed asset sale so the the global economy is the same playing field for everyone so in in that regard it's not really surprising that they've set self-interest aside in a way and come to an agreement because actually this this benefits all of them spending less right now when they're likely to be earning less in the coming 18 months uh, makes perfect sense and joe very quickly do we know why ferrari sort of held back initially before giving putting their weight behind uh, that proposal i think it's more just to consider the the kind of the wider implications of where things are at. I mean, Ferrari's, you know, faced the brunt of this situation. Italy's, you know, the worst affected country in Europe. Um, you know, big, big crisis back home and obviously big decisions for the future for the road car company itself. Um, so I don't think they were ever intent on blocking it as such. I think, you know, more maybe just going back to the bosses and speaking about the, the bigger picture. Because um, it's not just about, you know, the survival of the smaller teams because, you know, the Finances in F1 are always on edge anyway, but to go through what companies are now going to have to go through the next three, six, nine months, um, you know, there's no guarantee all 10 teams are going to come out of this. And I think even for the, you know, the big money teams, Mercedes, Red Bull and Ferrari, it's going to be a big hit on their finances. So, you know, I think it's a time where F1 needs to come together um, to, to almost save itself. Mm. And what do we know about the feeling within the teams and, and also F1 itself? Have you picked up any suggestions from sources there about what the current state of mind is amongst the people? Well, I think there? think it's trying to I think it's trying to trying to get some comprehension of where things are going. Really, something I anyone underst- anyone knows or understands where where we're going to be. The situation is so you know changing so fast. Um, two weeks ago, we couldn't have predicted you know where we were up up to this point. Um, and each country is going through its own journey, depending on how how quick they're you know pushing that curve down 
or pushing that peak down as they keep saying um so we don't know if we're going to be you know trapped in this scenario for three months then do things get normal are we in this scenario for six months and face another six months before things start turning around you know is the vaccine going to take six months 12 months 18 months um it's, it's tremendous uncertainty so it's really a time where you know as Mattia Bonotto said yesterday it's not a time for playing politics and being selfish and tactics it's about thinking of the you know the wider good thinking about you know F1's future you know is at stake here because if if it goes wrong you know four or five teams could pull the plug FOM itself tr- you know tracks could go bust TV companies could walk away um you know it's big stuff at stake here let's talk a little bit about delay in the introduction of the 2021 rules what does that actually mean for the development process of those cars now so as i understand it the chassis and gearbox designs will basically be be frozen for 2021 so instead of this massive vast swathes of change we instead have the opposite and we have basically teams keeping the same chassis keeping the same gearboxes to completely inhibit costs a little bit and instead you sort of just have this steady aero progression where you already have conversions anyway so in theory what we would get is if we're talking about 2020 being quite a close season because the regulations have been stable for a little bit of time now and teams are sort of going towards the same solutions what we're talking about is potentially 2021 being potentially even closer so although it seems like an incredibly grim scenario and there are a lot of people who are looking forward to the new regulations and a lot of people who you know thought that this was formula one's best tilt at having a rule set that could deliver what it finally wants to we might end up in a situation where 2021 with a stagnant rule set might actually be the more interesting prospect. So there, there's reasons to be optimistic for it. I know it's a bit strange and I know it's it feels like everything is being pushed back and delayed and put on hold for a bit, but it might end up being quite interesting. I guess the big worry is, is, is making sure Formula 1 and the teams get to that point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's the rationale behind this, because if you start pushing forward those 2021 regulations regardless then there are going to be teams that would drop out because they could not afford to develop them um now with this situation that we're now in the cost cap now comes into effect for 2022 and um for 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 2021 um teams are going to be spending less anyway as a result of the the economic situation yeah i think you're right there i think the the, because the Cost caps coming in for 2021. I think one of the big concerns about this year was that with no cost cap, the big teams are just going to spend and spend and spend ahead of the 21 rules. So budgets this year were going to be higher than they've ever been um, potentially before in Formula One. So at least from next year, we've now got a limit. There's 175 million plus certain exceptions. It means that teams now know what they're what they're heading for. So the spending for the new rules won't get out of control. And at least there is some certainty from the manufacturing teams that the budgets they need to, to get ready for the new rule set. It's an unusual scenario where the, the, the big teams are in the same boat as the small teams right now, aren't they? Because they, they're acting towards self-preservation. So at a time when they would be ramping up development for 2021, they're, they're now having to consider survival. 
let's let's assume because uh, a sort of a best case scenario i guess it'd be quite quite nice to hopefully think we can finally get some racing in 2020 what are we thinking about when that might be if it, if it can take place at all i'm not totally convinced that june's a realistic date when you look at what the governments are saying now we heard boris johnson say yesterday that we'll turn the tide in 12 weeks now turning the tide is not the end of everything it's when the situation starts getting better so if we talk about June before things start to improve, you can talk about another potentially three months before we get to the bottom. Then you've got to think about, oh, is international travel going to open up? Um, you know, I'd be, be able to get teams to fly to faraway locations in that time frame. Will there be any um, airlines left in business even then? Well, exactly. I think the situation, the problem is one of F1's big strengths, you know, why it's such a, a big sport is because, because it's global, because it's massive, because it flies... 1500 people to all these different countries and is a great showcase but at times like this actually what it needs to be is a you know a small sport that can rock up you know drive these trucks to a track get that race done very quickly and disappear out so realistically I, you could see a, a one two day race at Silverstone you know more realistic really than a run of three back-to-back races in um, you know Vietnam China Bahrain um, I think realistically we're gonna be lucky to get to get you know, into double-digit races this year, if any at all. Yeah, having having people like us and the teams, the bolters, all the people who usually fly economy, going on these very long intercontinental flights to places like Vietnam, China, whatever, it's just a recipe for generating another spike in cases. Absolutely. What Australia also showed is how quickly the situation can change. You know, everyone rocked up on Wednesday morning <clears throat> thinking things were fairly normal, and then it deteriorated so quickly. Um, you know, Thursday, Thursday, most people left the track expecting to see cars run the next morning. A few hours later, the race was off. So if you're a race promoter with, you know, $40 million fee, are you going to feel comfortable at that risk of something, you know, falls apart so quickly? And is it right that there, there needs to be eight races for the FIA to, to designate it a world championship? Yeah, there's two criteria for a world championship, eight races and three continents. So, um, you know, you may, if we're very, very lucky, get eight races but I'm not sure you'd be able to get three continents quite comfortably done. Should we make the Indy 500 anomalously a, a world championship round again, like in the 1950s? Well, I did, I did think it'd be quite, wouldn't it be an amazing uh, kind of situation if, as celebrating 70 years of F1, that you know, the, the season starts at Silverstone again as it did in 1950. And we have the, you know, the handful of races we had back then. Most of the teams obviously based in the UK. So hopefully when things calm down, you never know, it might be easier to get the ones that are outside the country to come in and, and at least uh, get something happening in, in 2020. Um, but what about the potential for it to become a 2020-2021 super season, as we saw in other championships, obviously, for other other reasons? Well, I suppose that is now possible, given that the rules are going to be at least partially frozen and we're going to see less development going through into next year or carefully controlled development does make it possible to to avoid having that winter shutdown where people are working on new cars because actually they aren't going to be doing that necessarily so provided you could have those races in the southern hemisphere uh, in in their summer they the only objection to racing through november december january would be uh, people actually wanting a break at some point in terms of the the people who go out and and operate the cars you know would you- liberty Liberty have talked about clustering the races together, making it more regional. It's one of the things when they came in, they talked about having all the Asian races in one hit, all the Middle East races in one hit, which teams and some of the promoters didn't want because they don't like all their races being close together. But with this situation, having this cluster of races like this, 
would potentially make sense if certain areas of the world are, are you, you know, more freedom of movement and a better situation than others. It would also reduce think, the travel we'd have to do in terms of being cooped up in these economy class cabins, which are going to be incubators for uh, virus transmission. To be honest, I think the super season idea is a good one. Um, Because even if we don't get racing until September, um, you know, you have a a few races at the end of the season that sort of fits into the 2020 bracket. And then over December, January, February, you can then have those races in perhaps Abu Dhabi and Bahrain fit it around Christmas and the start of the year. If you can get 26, 27, 28 races into this super season, then you can spread it out nicely. you're not going to be at risk of having all of these double, triple, quadruple headers that we would be at risk of having otherwise if we want to try and finish 2020 as a whole. And then you get Monaco back on the calendar, then you get, you know, Australia and the other cancelled races. Um, Zandvoort's not entirely sure that it'll go ahead as well. And we know that F1 is very, very keen to have that. So it would give a place to all of these all of these races on the calendar and maybe you get some races doubling up maybe we get some new ones i don't know but i think it would be quite a sensible idea whether f1 is is too proud to do that i don't know um but i think from a development standpoint from a team standpoint from the the sort of the mental health of everybody involved in the sport i think spacing the races out over two years would be quite a quite a good idea for the for the time being there have been seasons that began in argentina in january there have been seasons that ended in south africa in december so it's 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 not out the it's been done shall we say i think i think 1968 graham hill might have won the world championship in east london or was it um earlier than that certainly definitely in the 60s the championship was not wrapped up until the end of december whatever happens there's going to be a need to have a lot more cooperation and uh, you know, ground given from various parties just just to get a season or a longer season or, or anything at all happening. Do we think that's likely? I mean, F1 in the last week or so, having been so heavily criticised for not taking decisions quick, quickly in Australia, a lot of decisions we saw yesterday, even just in the news, it was just it was uh, story after story after story because the things were developing. So we're going to need to see that kind of leadership and that decisiveness continue. There'll definitely be more flexibility from teams. Um, I think as the year goes on, there'll be a you know, any racing, even for, I think we're all going to miss Formula One in this six months. It's an, you know, unprecedented gap we're going to see in racing. Uh, no sporting events um, at all. So I think as we get towards the end of the season, I don't think teams are going to dig their heels in and say, we're only doing, you know, three day events on this thing. We want two practice sessions and a qualifying session and a two hour race. I think there will be a desire to get some of the show on the road if it's possible rather than you know, being reluctant to accept things are going to be different. But what about the the sort of race promoters versus uh, F1 and the, the real the real contracts that are worth so much money and so much legal tussle? Is that not the bigger issue here? Maybe some of them will think that it's better to have a little bit of something than a whole lot of nothing. And if if you have some sort of event going ahead, then you are getting people through the gates, even if it's not as as, as big an event as you may have desired so having a a, a two-day event instead of a three-day event might seem might have seemed terrible a couple of months ago 
but as you look at it now, when there's a prospect of having no event at all, well, you'd quite happily take two days of people coming through your gates rather than absolutely nothing. Well, yes, let's hope those uh, sen- you know sensible decisions and sensible thinking can be found. Um, how are the drivers coping from what we've seen on social media and, and teams putting out with, with no racing? It looks like there's been going to be quite the rise in esports and things like that taking off. Yeah, F1's announced an uh, <clears throat> um, esports Grand Prix virtual series um, today. Um, we know Max Verstappen takes part in a, a lot on Lando Norris. They're, you know, they're regulars on the, the sim racing things. But it would be good to get some, some of the other drivers that don't normally do it on board. Uh, and I think in a gap of no racing, I think watching online racing will be a bit of an eye-opener for many people who've been quite sceptical of it in the past. I've always been a little bit hot and cold about uh, eSports because I prefer to you're play... not quick enough? Well, there is that. Um, uh, you, you've seen me play Forza, haven't you, Johnny? Um, I, I, I enjoy playing computer games. I'm not always very good at them. I, I've never really seen the point in watching someone else play them, but I, I've... I've seen a few of these F1 esports things. They've been quite entertaining. So, uh, again, it's better to have something than nothing. Yeah, I think it's, it's it's something that a lot of people like. It's not something that I like personally, and I won't personally be, be watching them, but there will be a lot of people out there who this will sort of fill a hole for, um, especially if their favourite drivers are taking part as well. And it's a good chance to see them take part on a sort of quite an equal stage as well so I, I can see the benefits of it and there are a lot of series doing that nascar is doing it now uh, as well um there will be a number of other series that will launch their own initiatives uh, supercars is another one so there, there's going to be a lot of variety uh, in a virtual environment um that certainly keep a lot of people sort of tidied over until the actual racing begins again i'm looking forward to seeing who these celebrities are that F1 say are going to be involved. Uh, are they going to be A-listers or B-listers or, or, or the sort of people who've only appeared on Big Brother? Who knows? F1 versus the Kardashians. Oh, God. Well, yeah, I think with the whole esports thing, you know, again, it does have its detractors, but we are we are living in very unprecedented times. So as ever, as I sort of indicated in Australia, we've got to be positive where we can and, and you know, embrace new things and just, just try and get through this as best we can, really. So you never know this new F1 esports uh, idea. You know, it could, as we say, it could really take the place of racing in, in, in you know, in a in a temporary way. We hope, but uh, at least it's something to get us through. Well, guys, thank you for joining me on this episode of the Autosport Podcast, and uh, thank to all, thank you to all the listeners for for joining us as well. Do check out all our news stories on Autosport.com and Motorsport.com, and subscribe to Autosport Plus for all our in depth analysis and features. And very finally, thank you to our producer Martin Lee for editing this episode. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.